right. Drew's going to come back up uh, at the end, and we're going to sing a song that will come out of what we're going to study tonight. So if you received a half sheet of paper on the uh, back table, you can see that I've set up a particular goal for us, a particular challenge. I hope over the next several weeks I can make you excited about studying the book of Leviticus. Uh, So uh, you guys know if you've ever attempted... If you've ever attempted to read through the Bible in a year, maybe you get to Christmas and you think, okay, this is the year. I'm, gonna, I'm so motivated. I'm going to do this. And so January 1st starts. You fly through those stories in Genesis because you know them already. Exodus, halfway through, you're definitely good. Second half of Exodus can get a little bit challenging. Um, and then you get to Leviticus, and Leviticus is where... Many Bible reading plans have, have gone to die. Uh, so you just think, ah, I don't know that I can, uh, can, can make it through this. When you think about the book of Leviticus, what comes to mind? What do you, what do you think of when you think of Leviticus? Laws. What's that? Do's and don'ts. Pretty much nailed it. Yeah, that's it. Just a, just a series of laws, do's and notes. Yeah, you can tell. We have a lot. I tell you, Leviticus is one of those books, and I, I hope over the, the next week that, or next few weeks as we go through this, next several weeks, in fact, that you'll see that this is one of those examples in Scripture that when you really get in there and start to go forward and see the way that God has given us His Word, so many things begin to come alive about, about this book from the Bible to to see the way that God has shown his holiness to us and how, as Drew was praying, desires that holiness for us. We're talking about holiness on Sunday mornings, and so I'm hoping that this Leviticus study on Wednesday night will, will fit together with, with those two pieces as we begin to see God's holiness, his desire for holiness from us. Leviticus is one of those books that surprisingly shows up in popular culture a little bit more than, than you might realize. You find references to Leviticus in X-Men, Shakespeare, the old show, not old, that, not old, but the show Glee that was on for a while would use Leviticus from time to time. There is a book that was written a few years ago in which this guy tried to follow all the laws in uh, the book of Leviticus for 365 days to see what it's like to, uh, to live that out. When Jewish kids, for a would go to synagogue to begin to study scripture, you know what the first book they learned as kids? Leviticus. Can you imagine the first book in the Bible you introduce to your kids is Leviticus. Leviticus, if you read very far, does not make the Jesus Storybook Bible just immediately. I mean, there are, there are some like PG-13, borderline rated R type things in there that you're, you're putting in front of, of your kids. But when kids would go to synagogue, the book of Leviticus was, was the first book that they would, they would encounter. Saturday Night Live, not for very long, but Saturday Night Live, Live had a street preacher character named Leviticus uh, for, for a while. And so Leviticus is one of those things that it's misunderstood both outside the church, but equally misunderstood inside the church. Because we think, you know, what, what does this book have to offer you? You read and there's all these laws. What, what is God doing with this? And so... My hope for you is that over the next several weeks, one, you'll get excited about what God has given us in Scripture with the book of Leviticus, and number two, that more than ever your heart would be drawn to Christ. Uh, That as we look at the book of Leviticus, that the power of Jesus, 
the holiness of Jesus, the salvation of Jesus, the, what it means to follow Jesus, that in your heart that that would grow more than ever before. Uh, famously, and we're not going to follow this guy's path, we, we pray, but uh, famously, a guy named Rob Bell started a church several years ago, and he began his church with a study through the book of Leviticus. Um, and from that study, their church took off. Now, Rob Bell's church went uh, the wrong direction, so we're not, we're not saying we're going to follow that, but it, it's funny to think about that you would start a church, and you say, hey, come to my church the first week, we're going to have a new church. What are you going to study? Leviticus. Uh, not how you would always think about starting, but that's what we're going to do. So, with that being said, what we're going to do tonight is a broad overview. So, not a lot of verses necessarily from Leviticus tonight. We're going to do an introduction to the book, and then we're going to jump into the material. But what I do want to do is start in chapter 1 tonight and read down a few verses, because it will give you a starting point. And then we're going to do big picture overview of the book. Leviticus chapter 1, verse 1. The Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When any one of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of livestock from the herd or from the flock. Verse 3. If his offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he shall offer a male without blemish. He shall bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting that he may be accepted before the Lord. He shall lay his head, hand on the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. Then he shall kill the bull before the Lord, and Aaron's sons, the priests, shall bring the blood and throw the blood against the sides of the altar that is at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Then he shall flay the burnt offering and cut it into pieces. And the sons of Aaron the priest shall put fire on the altar and arrange wood on the fire. And Aaron's sons, the priest, shall arrange the pieces, the head and the fat, on the wood that is on the fire on the altar. But its entrails and its legs he shall wash with water. And the priest shall burn all of it on the altar as a burnt offering, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And even by that point, you're just trying to hang on. Like, okay, we can do this. How many weeks are we going to do this again, Owen? Um, uh, no, it's going to be fun. We're going to like it. You're going to like it whether you want to or not. But you're, you're, I promise you're going to like it. Hey, from those, from those verses, the first thing you realize is, man, if I have a queasy stomach, like this may be a tough book for me. Uh, there's a lot of blood. But there's something to that. What is blood associated with in the Old Testament and particularly Leviticus? Life and covering sins so that life becomes possible. So where's life found? It's found in the blood. Um, and so you find blood is very prominent in the first half of Leviticus. And then there's almost a purposeful transition that happens in the second half where you don't get as much blood and you get a much more focus on how to live out holiness. And so we're going to come back to that because that's going to become an important point for us. Backing up just a little bit on your notes. So why should I read Leviticus? Other than the fact that we're, we're going to try to do this together. Why do I really read this? Remember 2 Timothy chapter 3. From childhood, Paul's writing to Timothy here. From childhood, you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which is not your New Testament, remember. When Paul's writing to Timothy, he's writing about what we would call the Old Testament, what they would have called the, the Scriptures, the Hebrew Bible. These sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So the first thing we can know about Leviticus 
is the Lord can use the book of Leviticus to bring someone to the point of salvation in Jesus Christ. That so much of this book, every piece of scripture is able to point us to that message of salvation in Christ. So we know from the beginning we read it for that purpose. Number two, all scripture in the middle of those verses, right after what I just read, all scripture is breathed out by God. It's God's word, therefore it's good for us. Uh, It's been given to us. Look back in verse 1 of Leviticus, if you still have your phone or Bible open. The book of Leviticus, chapter 1, verse 1. The Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. Now, without exaggeration, the Lord continues to speak for the next, oh, 27 chapters. Uh, You have in Leviticus the most concentrated portion of Scripture in terms of just the words of God being spoken to the people. Uh, Very little if no narrative given in the book. It's just this is the word of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord spoken to Moses. And so remembering here, if all Scripture is breathed out by God, given to us by God, you get a lot of that direct speaking of God to his people in the book of Leviticus. So we pay attention to it. All Scripture is God breathed out by God. Some translations will say inspired, the Spirit of God giving it. And what, what about the Word of God? It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So we know all of those things are true about the book of Leviticus, that the man of God, and in this case as well, the, the woman of God, the people of God, may be complete and equipped for every good work. So over the next several weeks, if we do our job right in Leviticus, there are times you should be challenged, There are times you should be convicted. There are times you should be encouraged. There are times you should say, I'm better able to live for the Lord now as a result of studying this piece of Scripture. Why do we know that? Based on 2 Timothy chapter 3. Number two, Luke 24, 27, that story of Jesus appearing to to the disciples on, on the road to Emmaus. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the Scriptures the things concerning himself. Every portion of Scripture points to the coming of Jesus Christ. Now, not in the same way. Don't get me wrong. We, we, don't, we don't get caught in this trap of having to look at every single thing and say, okay, exactly how does that point to Jesus? But the full scope of Scripture all points to things concerning Jesus. And so as we read Leviticus, if we just see lists of laws, we've missed the point, haven't we? we don't see the way that it helps us to understand the coming of Jesus, then in many ways we've, we've missed that. Hey, just a quick reminder, this will, we'll come back to this in a second. When you look at Luke 24 here, it says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, your Old Testament, what they would call the Hebrew Bible, is broken into th- three parts. The law, the prophets, and the writings. Uh, when you see the writings of Moses given in the New Testament, that's a reference to the first five books of, of the Old Testament. So when you see that right there, know that that's what it's talking about. The law, the prophets, and then in other places in Luke, you get references to the writings. So your Old Testament's broken into three parts, and then I like to think your New Testament's broken into three parts, but we'll, we'll talk about that another time. But definitely this is a reference to Moses being the law, the prophets, and then the writings, all pointing to Jesus. Romans 12.1, Paul says to... Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. 
so much of that reference there in chapter 12 of Romans has all this Leviticus language tied into it, which tells us if we're going to understand well how to live out what Paul's talking about in the book of Romans, we need to understand Leviticus well. The more you un- There are several things that are mentioned in the New Testament that you can't fully understand unless you understand how the people of God worshipped in the Old Testament. And you can't understand how they worshipped without understanding how the book of Leviticus works. And so you say, well, I want to be a New Testament Christian. Good, know your Old Testament really well. And, and that's going to set the stage for understanding how God calls us to live as, as his people. Next week we'll talk about more about how to relate the Old and New Testaments. Um, but, but just know here, if we take Romans 12, 1 as an example, living sacrifice, check. You find that in, uh, you find a lot of dead sacrifices actually in the book of Leviticus, but Paul's going to talk about living sacrifices. What does it mean to be holy and acceptable, holy and pleasing to God? And then how do you worship spiritually? What does it look like to do that? Leviticus teaches us all those things. That being said, I was thinking about what George Ross was teaching to the guys a few weeks ago at the men's conference, and he told us to repeat to ourselves over and ourselves over and over again, kids are a blessing, not a burden. Kids are a blessing, not a burden. Well, here, you're going to repeat to yourself, Leviticus is a blessing, not a burden. Leviticus is a blessing, not a burden. When I come to Leviticus, I, I, I know that God's blessing me. He's not stuck it there as a tripping point in the Old Testament. So I want you to see and think of the book of Leviticus not as drudgery, but as delight. Not as a burden, but as a blessing. Um, what about the book, the name and author of the book? We're going to say Moses wrote it um, because just all throughout the books, or all, all throughout Scripture, Moses is associated with it. Did he actually put, you know, pen to paper? That was a, didn't work in the old, the old world. He put, you know, chisel to a stone. Um, he may not have been the one to do it exactly, but he's certainly the one who's giving the words. He's giving the influence here. Leviticus 1.1, we just looked at this earlier, but it says the Lord called Moses and spoke to him. In the Hebrew Bible, the way they would name the books is by using the first phrase that you found in the book. So the way you named it is just whatever words came first. So in the Hebrew language, the book is called the Lord called Moses or the Lord summoned Moses which is significant because it sets the stage for how the book is going to work. And this is often how they would, would name books, is whatever the first few words you ran into were. As, as you go along in Jewish history, the rabbis would call the book the instructions of the priest. The instructions of the priest. It's called Leviticus because in Greek, the word for the Levites there is that Leviticon, when it came into Latin, the U became a V, and you get the word Leviticus. Here's the funny thing about that. The Levites are only mentioned once in the book of Leviticus. <laughs> You're like, well, that doesn't, that doesn't make any sense. Remember the way that this, this process is set up. Um, so from Moses and Aaron and Miriam, their great-grandfather was Levi. So they come from that tribe of, of Levi. Within the Levites, some of the Levites were priests. And so the phrase works like this on your notes. Every priest was a Levite, but not every Levite was a priest. So if it helps to draw a picture in your mind or on your, on your paper, Levite is the big circle. Priest is a smaller circle inside that circle. 
all the people that came from there were, were the Levites to do the work of taking care of the tabernacle and, and being set apart for the people of God. There was a smaller group of people that functioned as priests. Now, as followers of Jesus, why would a book about priestly duties be such a big deal for us? You probably know it just feels awkward to say it out loud in a big room, but who are we? We're priests, yeah, in, in every sense of the word, that, that we, are, we are priests. Uh, remember, priests in Christianity are not a set-apart, separate class of people. Uh, within the Baptist heritage particularly, we talk about a priesthood of believers, that, that we function as priests. And so if you're a priest and there's an entire book in the Bible devoted to priests, Something says, hey, I should really pay, pay attention to this. There's something here about how I should function. Now, what does a priest do? When you think about a priest, this isn't perfect, so, so hang tight with me, but the way that I think about it and it makes sense for me is a priest, in a sense, is a go-between for God and the people. So the priest represents the people to God and represents God to the people. And so as priest... We are called upon as a kingdom of priests to represent God to the world around us. So we function as priests in that sense. And then we also, we can't be the mediator between only Jesus. There's only one mediator. But as priests, we can help people understand what it means to go to God. Why do we mean that? You can't go to God just any way you want. There's a way that you do that, and we believe it happens through Jesus. And so when you have a book that's called The Instructions for the Priest, and you're a priest, you want to pay attention to that. It becomes, becomes a very big deal. Let's talk about the historical context while we have time here. How does it fit? When you, when you look at a Bible, or when you look at the book of the Bible, three-legged stool. There's all, or if you like a pyramid better than a three-legged stool, however it works for you. There's three points to this. You always think about what's the history of this, what's the literature of this, and what's the theology of this book that I'm looking at. So, History, how did God fit it into the world? How did it relate to the culture and history and timeline? Literature, what type of document? What kind of document am I reading? Theology, what does it teach me about God and God's relationship with his people? So every time you look at a book of the Bible on a big scope, history, literature, theology, you're always holding those pieces together. How, how does Leviticus work historically? I'm going to make the case the reason we struggle with Leviticus so much is because we forget where it fits in the historical work of God with his people. And between tonight, this Sunday, and next Wednesday, I'm really going to try to emphasize this point because I think Leviticus will get much less boring for you when you remember how it fits into the story. It's not just a random set of laws. It fits in a particular way. Ten weeks after the Exodus... And speaking general here, but, but 10 weeks after the Exodus, the Israelites come to Mount Sinai, where God is going to give them what? He's going to give them the law. Do they get the law before or after God rescues them from Egypt? After. Law comes after rescue. Um, now, what does that tell us? It means you don't keep the law in order to be rescued. You're rescued, and then you understand how God calls you to live. In a very real theological sense, the law did exist before the Exodus. God's law had always been with his people. But saying this is how you're going to live as my people happens after they're rescued. So these laws are not given, hey, obey all these, and then you get to be my people. 
God calls his people, rescues his people, makes a covenant with them, and says, this is how we're going to live. This is how you're going to live as my holy people, to reflect me, to represent me to the nations around you. So ten weeks after the Exodus, the Israelites come to Mount Sinai. God gave instructions. He gave Moses instructions for building the tabernacle. Um, Look back in Leviticus 1 if you still have it open. We're going to do a lot more in Leviticus chapter 1 next week. But look back in verse 1 again. The Lord called Moses and spoke to him. How's the tabernacle described in the Bible? From the tent of meeting. It's this dwelling place, this meeting place where God's presence and glory is shown to to his people. And so Moses was given instructions for how to build the tabernacle. Exodus, the end of Exodus is where you get those instructions. So God rescues his people. He sends them into the wilderness. They're journeying toward Mount Sinai, and then they get these instructions for how to build the tabernacle. What's going to follow the tabernacle? What's going to be built after the time of the wilderness? They're going to build the temple. Here's your connection. This is where it gets really fun. What does God build in Genesis chapter 1? He builds the world, the cosmos, which when you think about Genesis chapter 1 and God building the world, he is building his temple. He is building the place where his holiness and glory will dwell. Sin comes in and and begins to corrupt that. You find the world infected by sin, so to speak. But when you read Genesis 1, God is establishing a temple. He's establishing the place where his holy people will live to see his holiness. Tabernacle is established as the tent of meeting where God's glory and holiness come to his people. Then the temple is established as well because it's going to function in very much uh, a similar way. So what God is beginning to do with the tabernacle, what you read about in Exodus and Leviticus, he's beginning to reestablish his dwelling place with his people. Where's that going to go to in the New Testament? First to Jesus, who is the dwelling of God with man. Then you're going to get to Revelation, where you're going to see God bring that to, to fruition. So... God establishes the world as his temple. He gives the tabernacle and the temple as his dwelling place with his people. That doesn't go well, and they go into exile. Temple is destroyed, but God's plan isn't messed up, is it? He sends his son, Jesus, who will be, show his glory, and then ultimately it's going to point to the book of Revelation where we're going to see that fulfilled. God gave Moses instructions not only on how to build the tabernacle, where they would live, but he gave Moses instructions for how to use the tabernacle. So Leviticus would tell how Israel would worship. Exodus, where they would worship. Leviticus, how they would worship. You get over to the back of your paper, and we're just going to skim through this, and we'll come back and, and catch it later. The literary context of the book, quick show of hands, how many of you are middle children in your family? Middle kids, rejoice, okay? I know you get lost in your family. Nobody cares about you. You moan and groan because I'm the older brother and I, you, know, you hear it from your middle, your middle siblings. In the ancient world, the middle of something was the mountain. It was what everything pointed to. When we consider Leviticus the most unimportant book of the five in the book of the law, you know what the other people thought about it? It was the most important. Everything pointed to this, and, and we'll begin to unfold it next week, but it's at the core of it. I've given you an outline right there of how it works 
two parts. God establishes a system of holiness, and then he tells them how they're going to live it out. This is how Paul wrote. Theology, practical application. What you get in Leviticus is very similar to what you get in Paul's letters in the New Testament. The theological context of the book is to answer the question, how could the people be assured of God's presence in light of their sin? It is no small matter that we are able to come into the presence of a holy God. We cannot do that on our own. There's only one way that that can happen, and that's if God establishes the way for it to happen. How does it happen? Matthew 5 says that Jesus didn't come to abolish the law. He didn't come to set you uh, free from reading Leviticus. He came to set you free from the law. He, he fulfilled it. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I hope in the future when you read John 14, 6, you'll think about Leviticus. How can we come into the presence of God? Only through Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 7. It was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men and their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. If you come up here, um, here's what I want you to see as we get to this portion to prepare for what's coming in Leviticus. I think in some sense, at least in my reading uh, recently in this book, if you don't understand what God made possible for access to his presence through the book of Leviticus, in some ways it's hard to understand how great Jesus is and what he came to do. These sacrifices that had to be given over and over and over again, the book of Hebrews says Jesus is better than that. Jesus is greater than that. No longer do you come to offer animals on a continual basis. I've offered myself in your place that you would have life. So what we're going to do right now, what I want us to do to, to wrap this up as kind of a kickoff for the fall, is I want us to sing a song called Jesus is Better. As we think about the fact that God has established this plan for holiness for his people, what you see in Leviticus points us forward to the way that Jesus will be better than everything else that we will, that we will face, anything that we're going to come to. So I'm going to pray for us. Drew's going to introduce the psalm for you if you don't know it particularly well, and then we're going to be able to sing it together. So let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would use the book of Leviticus in our church, that you would use this book in our lives individually as we begin to study over the next few weeks. God, that on Sunday mornings as we gather to worship, that you would remind us what it means to be a holy church and a holy people. God, that you would do this work in my life, in our staff, in our entire church, in our families. And God, that you would use this study more than anything to remind us that Jesus is better that he is the one that you have sent to show us your glory, to show us what it looks like to have hope and victory. And so, Father, I pray that you would use the song to bless us and to send us out as we seek to be a blessing and seek to honor you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Just stand up. Drew's going to introduce the song for us, and then we're going to sing it together. Yeah, so uh, whenever uh, 
pastor told me that we were talking about holiness and we were talking about Leviticus, um, the thing that inspires me about Leviticus and makes me excited about it is uh, because your pastor is teaching it and I'm here leading worship. That's not actually the reason. The reason it is so inspiring to me is because we see this list of commands, this list of laws that's so daunting to us that maybe even is a little bit boring to read if you just dive straight, straight into it. But what we realize in the book of Leviticus is how great our God is and how mighty he is and how far apart he stands from the rest of creation. And so the biggest thing for me and what that means for me about that is that each one of us is coming from a different situation in this place tonight. Um, I, I met a few people. Um, I've talked with your pastor. I, I, I've talked here and there with a couple of you guys. And and even, even in those small conversations, what I realize is each one of us is coming from a different place. And so me, I drove from Northwest Oklahoma City. Some of you guys came from different places right around here. But even then, we're, we're living completely different lives um, almost assuredly. But one thing that I can attest to and one thing that I can say to all of you with extreme confidence is that regardless of your situation, whether you're struggling with financial difficulty, whether you're struggling in raising your kids, whether you're struggling um, with the day-to-day of your life, whether the Lord is blessing you immensely with, with financial prosperity or good things are happening or your family is, is really becoming a, a unit, regardless of those things, the good, the bad, the ugly, Jesus is better than all of it. Every, every single little detail in your life and every grand thing that we conjure up is great in this, this world we live in. Jesus is much better than all of it. And so as we sing this song, I think it's important for us to realize that though we can say Jesus is better, though we can say Jesus is, is so great for us, it's important that we call upon the Spirit to, to make us believe that that's true. Because it's easy to say one thing and believe another thing. Um, and so as we sing this song and we ascribe glory and honor to God, I would encourage you to, to simply remember how great Jesus is and to ask him to make you believe that that's the truth. So we're going to sing this chorus together, and then um, I'll teach you guys this song. So it goes like this. Glory, glory, we have no other king. But Jesus, Lord of all, we raise the anthem, our loudest praises ring, we crown him Lord of all. Sing that again, glory, glory. Glory, glory, we have no other king but Jesus, Lord of all. Glory, glory. Glory, glory. We 
but Jesus, Lord of all. We raise the anthem, our loudest praises ring. We crown Him Lord of all. Your kindly rule is shattered and broken. Your kindly rule has shattered and broken the curse of sin's tyranny. We're hidden. is better make my heart believe in every victory Jesus is better make my heart believe ask him to make you believe then any comfort Jesus is better Jesus, Lord of all, glory, glory, we have no other king but Jesus, Lord of all, we raise the anthem, our loudest praises ring, we crown him Lord of all, we crown him Lord of all. We crown him Lord of all. Dear Jesus, we thank you so much. God, that you are better than anything in this world that we can conjure up. 
all the riches, all the comforts. God, the difficulty, the pain. Lord, the struggle. God, that no matter our situation, no matter where we're coming from in this room tonight, God, we believe that you are so much better, God, so much greater. Lord, than, than anything this world has to offer. And God, I ask that as these, that we in this room, as we leave, God, that you would remind us through our day-to-day -day life how much better you are than anything that comes our way. Lord, remind us of your holiness, your goodness, your faithfulness. Lord, we thank you for that. It's in your name we pray. Amen.